I have a question for you, Change Cultivators. As you listen to our podcast, you know we explore all things about nurturing change and being a great team leader in times of disruption and change and driving transformations. The question I have for you is this, do you spend enough time thinking about the future? And not just thinking about it, but really getting your head around what is the world gonna be in the future? And what is the role you and your team should play in that future? Does your thinking about the future anchor you in something that says to you, ah, this is where I need to lead my team to. This is my desired end state in the next couple of years to get my team functioning in this way because that's how we'll add value. It's how we'll drive outcomes. So the question is pretty simple. Do you spend enough time thinking about the future? And as you know, during this season of the Change Cultivators podcast, we're digging to a lot of things that help make you a different kind of leader, a change leader, one that embraces change cultivation, that not just a standard operational leader, but somebody who is actually driving a team to a different place. So the question we're going to explore is, are you thinking about the, the future? And from my perspective, I couldn't be more tickled to explore it with Graham Codrington. I'm going to let Graham do a little bit about who he is, but I'm fascinated by these things. So let's just set Graham up. He's an expert on the future of the world of work. He understands disruptive forces. He spends a lot of time answering the question I just set up. Are you thinking about the future? But I'm really curious to get into the why he does that. And as I read some of what his bio is, here's some of the things that Graham believes. He says, I believe there's a better way, that the old models of the world of work, the old approaches to leadership, teamwork, work-life balance, they're outdated and are not going to get the best out of people. He believes the world of work should be an exciting and inspiring place. He believes that there should be a future fit and understanding of the forces that shape the future of work. So, Graham, it's a delight to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, Patrick, and great that we're covering this topic. Uh, as you know, it's uh, what I do all day, every day, helping people to jump into the future and see what's going on over there. It's fabulous. So how'd you end up here, right? Okay, so there's not many, many little boys and girls in the world who says, I want to grow up to be a futurist. So give us a short path to how do you end up where you are and doing what you do, which you obviously have so much passion around? Well, there's lots of different stories. You know, I think life is filled with lots and lots of little moments, but one that stands out from the crowd. I was working uh, as a chartered accountant, uh, well, doing my articles actually at KPMG back in the 1990s. And uh, we had just purchased uh, some Apple Mac SE 30s. Anybody who's Ancient will know that that was the sort of first portable computer, like properly, uh, we, we called it a luggable computer rather than a, than a laptop or a, uh, you know, or, a, or a completely portable. And we had purchased a few of these things. I had been a tech nerd as a, as a kid and as a teenager, and I was just so excited to get my hands on one of these, and it had Excel version one in it. And what I did was I uh, started to take the manual methodology that we were using as, as audit clerks for doing audits, credit reconciliations, and stock counts, and so on. And I started writing little macros in, in Excel. And I speeded up the process of auditing uh, for our team. And one day I went out to a client and did what should have been a three-day job in a morning. And I came back to the office and I showed my managers what I had done and they didn't believe that I had completed it correctly. So they triple checked my work and then said, actually, we, we, we see you've done the job properly, uh, but now we have a problem. 
um, you need to go back to the client and look busy. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, we, the client is expecting this job to take three days and you can't be finished yet. And I said, well, surely it's to everybody's advantage. You can put me on another job. You can get more money out of me. Um, the client is not paying for hours. Surely, said I in my naive young 20-something state. <laughs> and of course, the client was not just paying for an audit report. They were actually paying by the hour. Um, it was in that moment. I realized that I couldn't stay in that profession, that I was, not, not arrogantly, I hope, that, but I was, it wasn't that I was ahead or behind of my colleagues. I was just on a different path completely, um, a path that then led me from there into the IT world and in the IT world, discovering that it wasn't the technology that was the issue. It was people's understanding of the technology and people's vision of what the technology could do. And where most people were scared of technology, I was excited by it. And where most people were slow to adopt it, uh, I was quick. And uh, that turned into a career. Literally about uh, four weeks ago, we celebrated our 20th anniversary as a company. We called ourselves Tomorrow Today. Uh, and it kind of does what it says on the tin. We spend half of our time thinking about tomorrow, trying to work out what's going to happen, and the other half speaking to people today to say, this is what you need to be doing now to prepare for that world. So KPMG's loss was the world's gain to get you to kind of help people understand this whole future thing. And I find it fascinating, right? And the notion of spending your time in the future uh, is really cool, right? So I know, I know you have tons of stories around that. I know you've kind of just come back from a big expo. I know you have this notion about throw forward Thursday where we talk about that. So how does your fascination and your passion about trying to live in that future world and bring other people to it? Um, how do some of those activities kind of fit in? Just, uh, just want to go a little bit deeper into your story yeah, around sure. that stuff. Well, you know, Patrick, it is definitely better than a real job. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I get to spend my days imagining what's possible, uh, and then narrowing that down to kind of what's probable, right? Because not everything that can happen is going to happen. So, so we've got to bring some kind of boundaries and have some kind of sense-making frameworks that bring it down from anything that could happen to what's likely to happen, and then go one step further to say, what would we prefer to happen? Uh, because I, I actually think that part of the story here is that uh, the best way to predict the future is to create it, uh, because I don't think that the future comes at us regardless of what we do. Uh, I think we drag the future towards us by the choices we make. And so what I do in every day is, is essentially three things. The first is I try and put myself in a place where I can see what might happen. Um, and that will include uh, watching documentaries and listening to visionaries in different industries, reading books, uh, trying to get a sense of trends and, and, and what might happen. The second thing I'd, I do then is to uh, apply a sense-making framework to try and work out which of these things are just fanciful, which of them are fads that will, that will just whiz past us and won't really make an impact. And which are really going to, to change the world. And, and that, I suppose, if, if, if there's a, a bit of art and science, the first piece is maybe more art 
because that's more the creative imaginative side. The second piece is more science because that's bringing to bear some of the, the methodologies that a, that a futurist uh, uses. And then the third piece is to extract out of that uh, the stories, the implications, the applications that, that will make sense to people today. And, and that's where I move from being maybe a, a, a crazy scientist, if you like, who's just imagining all sorts of weird and wild futures, to being an educator, which is really the heart of what I think I, I am. Uh, taking lots and lots and lots of information and distilling it down and extracting the nuggets of value that um, the people who follow me, the people who listen to me and the people who pay me to do this, my clients, uh, the stuff that will be valuable to them um, and helping them to see what they need to see um, in everything that, that I've got a view of. So cool. So cool. And uh, tell me a little bit about Dubai. So I, I, I want our listeners just to understand that there is big schools of people who are focused on that to go. So tell us a little bit about your, your, your Dubai ex Expo and what that is and why you choose to go there. Yeah, so hopefully everybody knows what the Dubai Expo was now. It's a past tense. It, it, it was set up in Dubai as a six-month world expo uh, in which all the countries of the world were invited to come and hire a hall and put up a stand and show the rest of the world something cool that they were working on. And there were three themes, opportunity, sustainability, and mobility. And most people focused on either sustainability or mobility in the future. And 192 pavilions, they were called, 192 of these exhibits were set up uh, in massive halls. Uh, it, it, uh, on the first day I was there, I, I walked 22 kilometers to give you an idea of the scale and, 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 and awesome. the scope of this thing. It's remarkable. Um, and then in, intertwined between those things, uh, there were restaurants. Every country was profiling some of their iconic dishes. There were cultural events and concerts and music and drama. And uh, it, it was just this explosion of of information about what our world is and what our world could be, especially in, in those uh, areas of sustainability and mobility. And, you know, uh, Patrick, it, it, you can get a lot of information from reading and you can get a lot of information from watching videos and movies and news footage and documentaries. And you can get a lot of information by speaking to people but nothing really beats actually experiencing something and being there. And uh, so my, my colleague, uh, Keith Coates and I, we just decided uh, that we were gonna put the effort in. We, we've been watching the expo gaining momentum over the last seven or eight years. And we basically contracted with each other to say, we've got to go. And we got a wonderful invitation uh, from the Institute of Directors uh, in Dubai to, to come and experience the expo and then run a leadership program uh, for uh, board directors and chairman and CEOs of companies in the region uh, to basically help them to do what we do, which is to not just see the future, not just see tomorrow, but understand what it means for us today, especially what it means for, for leadership. Uh, in today. So yeah, that, a few weeks ago, uh, I uh, just snuck in before the end, the, the, the expo closed down and uh, absolutely loved my week in Dubai. So as I listen to you talk, um, so there's so many things, but I'll go to one. Um, you know, we try to talk to leaders, you know, 
from any size team. You could be a, a, a leader of an internal functional team. You could be a corporate leader of a, of, a, of a huge team. And one of the things that seems to be a pattern is disruption is going to happen to me because there's things that are happening to the space that I operate in my business or how I get talent or how I build up. So the disruption will happen to me. And there's a lot of people who are in that mode. Um, there's other saying, I want to go disrupt. Like, I want to go be the disruptor. I want to go ride a trend that's out there. Um, and so as I hear you laying all of that down, especially talking about what you experience in Dubai at this really macro letter, uh, level, how does it connect back to this notion of, gosh, I have to leave my team and either I'm going to be disruptive, disrupted, or I'm going to be disruptive. Um, how do you help people kind of understand that? How do you help them say, cool, you got to understand what's going out there to either cope with the disruption or drive a disruption? Yeah, yeah, and I think, Patrick, that's exactly right. Uh, another way to talk about that, which leaders would know well, is in your SWOT analysis. It's the opportunities and the threats, right? Um, and, and, and I don't think it's a one or the other. I think both happen to you at the same time. You can be disrupted and disruptive at the same time. And, and so for me, the language is what are the opportunities that disruptive change could bring to you and your business? And then what are the threats that you need to mitigate against? And the key thing for me is to help leaders understand that your experience, your expertise, your education, if you go even further back, all of those are what make you good, right? It's what make you uh, valuable to your business. It's what makes your team valuable to the larger organization what you do uh, and your experience and expertise in doing it. But at the same time, those exact things that are your value to the business are also blinkers that stop you from seeing other things going on in the world. Um, and part of the leadership work that we do is to literally demonstrate this to people, to demonstrate that you can literally read through a magazine. And when you get to the end of the magazine, we can do a quick check on what you learned by reading the magazine. The things that you already believe and the things that you already know about the future, your, your brain will accept those and you'll remember them. But if anything in that magazine goes against what you believe, or, or presents information that you can't quickly assimilate to what you already know, your brain literally wipes it from your memory. I mean, it is astounding. Uh, obviously, we have language for this. We call it confirmation bias. And not enough leaders understand that they are very good at seeing the future that is very obvious for them. So they can see the next steps, they can see the things that are very obviously about to Im impact and influence their industry. What I want to do is to help them to develop their peripheral vision, if you like, and, and develop their radars so that they can see beyond the horizon that, that currently is the end point of, of their vision. And, and so I talk a lot about helping leaders to understand what happens after what comes next. Um, or, or what are some of the disruptive forces that are likely to surprise you in the future? And then leaders will say, oh, I didn't see that coming. That's a huge black swan event, you know? Who could have predicted that? And the answer is, well, anybody who was looking, actually. Um, and so that's the thing, right? Is to learn those techniques 
of, of leadership that allow you to look beyond the focus that your right. organization requires of you. And, and that's a balancing point, right? There, right. There, there's a, a balancing act. Sorry, you, you've got to stand on that point of balance yeah. because you've got to deliver what your organization needs you to deliver as an individual and as a team. But I think that more and more and more companies and organizations are going to require their leaders to deliver what I'm talking about, to deliver this bigger vision, this more strategic approach, this more future-ready um, insight uh, around where their department, their function, and, and the business as a whole might be going. It, it, very powerful. Does it vary by like organizational level? So actually, let me ask it in a more pointed way. Um, one way I hear you talking is as a leader, you need to get your team to spend more time thinking about the future, making sense of it, and kind of figuring out your application. Um, how much time do I do to that, right? Because back to your point of delivering outcomes for today's business, I'm tasked yeah. with delivering some outcomes for today's business. So is there some kind of magic key to this that says, well, Graham gets to spend all of his time thinking about the future. That's how he makes his money. So it's cool. Um, I've got to actually do other things too. How do you coach teams or, or a leader, frankly, through the discipline of actually balancing today's need versus this more future need? So the, the golden rule essentially is that the higher you go up in an organization, each time you get a promotion up to the next level, you should spend more time thinking big picture, you know, strategic, uh, standing on a balcony is the language I, I use. And the higher up you go in the organization, uh, the higher up your balcony is supposed to be. Except when I work with very, very senior leadership teams, which is what I do quite regularly, um, we all agree that they should be doing that. Then I ask them to take out their calendars and show me where it is. <laughs> I literally ask them to, to, to open up on their computers the agenda of their last executive board meeting and show me where the time was spent on strategic thinking, you know, long distance future thinking, and yeah. so on. And, and the answer is that as much as they should be doing it, they're not doing it. So direct answer to your question, Patrick, there isn't a golden number, right? Um, uh, it's not 50% or 20% or 10%. All I can say to you is that almost without exception, every single leader I've ever worked with, when we actually have this conversation and they come up with the number that they think is the number they should be spending on strategic thinking and visionary thinking, it's always a lot more than they're currently spending on it. So with, without trying to be silly about my answer to your question, you asked how much time should leaders spend yes. on, on this stuff? The answer is more. More. <laughs> I think that's a totally fair answer. And it was actually the one I thought we were going to get to because it really is. And it's such a hard thing. And one of the things I want to explore in, in our next couple of uh, segments of this conversation is getting really tangible tangible and tactical with with leaders to give them tips 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 tricks and hacks to really how to make sure they start yeah. to build this muscle because as as i hear you talk about it this is a new muscle it was a new muscle you had to build as you went through your personal story of how you kind of went from 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 a career how do you build this new muscle that will allow us to be able to do that so uh with that i'm going to end with a couple of things i would just ask our listeners look one of the more most insightful things i heard from that discussion is the three things that graham says he does every day and, and I'm going to give these back and see if I got them right. You can certainly course correct me. Um, spend some time seeing what might happen, right? What might happen out there? Um, uh, 
apply some kind of sense-making framework. And I do want to come back in our next discussion and talk about what that is. What is a sense-making framework? And how can any leader really use some kind of model to have a framework to make sense of what might happen? And then extract some stories and applications for today. What should I be doing today? Like, what, where should I be going? And so did I get your three roughly right? That's exactly Greg? right. Perfect. Yeah, so I think that's kind of one way to think about it. So. Uh, I'm going to look forward to continue our conversation with Graham as we dig a little bit deeper into this notion of futurist thinking and applying it to the space of change cultivation and helping you really understand how an expert in this field thinks about it, processes it, and then I love the comment, how he continues to teach leadership teams to spend more time in the future and apply it to where they want to drive their organization. So please come back for our next conversation. Thank you, Graham, for joining us in this segment, and I look forward to digging deeper. Shine so 